Welcome to the For Love and Money podcast, the show where business and social purpose meet to inspire a movement for positive change. Here's your host, Carolyn Butler Madden. Who ever imagined that toilet paper could be so cool and so loved by so many? Our guest today is Simon Griffiths, CEO and co-founder of Who Gives a Crap, the Aussie B Corp that sells good-looking, forest-friendly toilet paper, paper towels and tissues direct to consumer. Who Gives a Crap donates 50% of their profits to help build toilets for those in need. And as much as Simon loves toilet paper, he helped start the business for its impact with the company on a mission to improve access to hygiene, clean water and basic sanitation in developing countries. Since founding the company back in 2013, Who Gives a Crap has donated more than $10 million, uh, which is amazing. Simon, thank you so much for making the time to join us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So look, Who Gives a Crap started with a very clear purpose to make the world a better place. So. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on what role you think, if any, that love has to play in business. <laughs> um, I mean, I think I personally think love has a huge role to play in business. Um, you know, there's lots of different ways to think about love. Um, but I think that, you know, one of the philosophies that I, yeah, I could talk about this in many different ways. One of the ways that we would think about this would be that, um, I don't think you can sell a great product or a great service unless you've got a culture where your team feels safe and supported, which I think is a pretty good proxy for loved. Um, and so, you know, everything I think starts with how you, you treat your team and how your team treat each other. And if they do that with love, then that's something that becomes an enabler for you to have a great product or service that your customers will love. Um, and so, you know, for me, everything starts from love. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. And I, I did, um, I, I had a look at your website and your about page. And um, in that first paragraph, I think I stopped counting the word love after about six times that it showed up. It was like, yes, my kind of company, right? My kind of brand. Um, so look, I, th I think most Australians know who gives a crap. Um, we do have some international listeners as well, and I'm really excited to see that you seem to have expanded and we'll get into that. But just anyway, can you give us the backstory to who gives a crap? How how did it come to be? Yeah, I think, you know, the three founders, we, we all have slightly different sort of reasons of why it's important to us. Um, but the, you know, the original kind of concept um, came from, spending a lot of time looking at development economics and understanding why a lot of big social problems that we have in the world exist and really seeing that the sanitation problem was one of the biggest, you know, 2.4 billion people without access to adequate sanitation. When we started, it's about 2 billion people today. So a lot of improvement, but, you know, a massive, massive proportion of the entire world. Um, and the, the negative health consequences are, are really terrible. So, um, you know, people end up going to the bathroom in water that's then accidentally used to cook, clean or wash. And that results in diarrhea related disease. It's the number one filler of hospital beds in sub-Saharan Africa and the number two killer of kids under the age of five. So it kills about 700 wow. kids under the age of five every day. Um, every so single day. Every single day. Um, so, you know, it's um, unfortunately a problem that we truly do know what the solution is. Um, and I think when we, you know, when we looked at all of the, the research around it, 
everything said that, you know, every, every dollar that you're investing into the sanitation space is resulting in a $4 uplift in economic productivity because people live longer and they're more healthy. But you also see things like school attendance rates go through the roof, particularly for teenage girls. And so you have really amazing long-term economic benefits that come out of investing in sanitation. And I think one of the really interesting things is it's it was so far off track because it is this icky, slightly gross topic to talk about. You know, you can't you can't take a photo of someone sitting on a toilet for the first time in the way that you can someone drinking clean water out of a well for the first time. And so it's um it's much harder to market and turn into um into something that you can you know sell people to donate to. And so the penny drop moment for me was walking into the bathroom and seeing a six pack of toilet paper and thinking, oh my God, we should sell toilet paper, use the profits to build toilets and call it who gives a crap. And the reason why that worked was, you know, one, as I've told you this, you've just smiled at me. <laughs> so it makes you laugh, which makes people want to tell other people about it. It's, you know, quite, quite simple and elegant that, um, that people say, how come someone hasn't done that before? And that's usually the sign that you've got an idea that someone will tell someone else about. But two, the other really interesting thing was that we could tell our story by talking about toilets and what toilets are used for and why they're important. And that was an area that no other toilet paper company could go near because they built their brands on images of pillows and feathers and bears and, and, you know, puppies and things that are completely unrelated to toilets. They weren't allowed to talk about toilets because it was. So you went straight into the heart, into the guts of it, didn't you? Yeah, literally. And that, that is what made it just, you know, kind of perfect because it was, it helped solve a problem. We had defensible marketing. There was just a lot of, you know, what now we know are called moats essentially around the business that would give us a defensible business model that would be very hard for, you know, one of our larger competitors to try and compete against us on. So, so the brand, I mean, the brand has got so much personality, um, and the number of people who I I just hear go, you know, you say who gives a crap and they instantly smile and it's like, oh, I love that brand. Yeah. That that personality, was that like, did you know that you wanted to start with that? Yeah, 100%. I think um, we knew we wanted to start with it. I think bringing it to life is... Um, is much harder. You know, it's, it's one thing to have an intention and it's another thing to be able to put it into action. Um, and so there's an incredible amount of hard work that's gone into building that personality from a lot of different people across the company. It's something that I never ever could have done myself. And we've got it now to a place that's, you know, so far beyond what, um, what any of us could have done, you know, if it was just the three founders in the business today. And so it's a real testament to the team that have, you know, come around the idea and pushed it in new directions and tested things out to um, to build what is now quite a multifaceted personality. And so we think, you know, one of one of um, our founders, Danny, he talks about when you're building a great brand, you kind of want to have a brand that you want to sit next to at a dinner party. And when you're having a really good dinner party conversation with someone, they're not a person that's just telling you that, you know, the world is in trouble and we've got to do something now. And they just only talk about that one point. They, um, of course, care about the environment. They care about other people too. They know how to make you feel good by giving you a compliment at the right moment, by telling a funny joke and by being able to talk about, you know, lots of other stuff that's going on that they're interested in. 
And so to build great brands, we think you have to build these multifaceted personalities that are people that you would love to sit next to at a dinner party. And that's kind of what's gone into the Who Gives a Crap brand to take it to where it is today. So yes, we care about the environment. Yes, we want to build toilets to everyone in the entire world. But there's a lot of other stuff that we care about too. And, and part of that's, you know, making people feel good about doing something good. That's such that's such an important point, I think, because, you know, you're tackling such a serious problem, right? And it, it's very easy to get serious about it, be very, very worthy about it, um, and only that. And yet, you know... It's boring. <laughs> yeah. And that you've, you've managed that balance beautifully. Yeah, absolutely beautifully. Well, yeah. And to be clear, it's not me. It's a lot of. <laughs> well, I'm talking about the plural you, right? The organisation. <laughs> and um, I was going to ask, who's got that job to come up with the one-liners on 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 the toilet? I was I was looking. We've we've got some obviously, and um, and I was just smiling. You know, we believe in plying it forward. Can you share some? Can you can you off the top of your head share some of those other one-liners just for people who don't know the brand? Um, uh, I think, yeah, I think, you know, on the back of pack, yeah, um, we believe in playing it forward. Do more ones and twos is another one. Um, give yourself a pat on the bum. Um, yeah, there's lots, <laughs> lots, lots and lots of them. I think the, you know, and that's like so something else that, um, you know, hopefully when people are listening to this, they, they will have changed as well because something that we think about is that, you know, that packaging, um, we want to have a customer for life and they don't want to read the same thing on the back of the pack every time they get a new order from us. And so we want to be changing that copy up so that we're able to evolve the story that our customer um, receives from us and talk about the brand from a thousand different angles rather than just, you know, the same five. Um, and so that's part of how we think about um, building the depth of brand experience and taking the customer on a journey. Mm, through yeah, brilliant. So I've got to share a little story with you. A few years ago, um, my sister lives in Perth. I'm in Sydney. And um, and we don't exchange Christmas presents. It's just a rule, right? And then one year she said to me, oh, we've got a Christmas present coming over, so just keep a lookout. And I'm like, what? Why are you doing that? You know, you're breaking the golden rule. And she <laughs> said, don't worry, just just keep an eye out for it. And, of course, it was a big box of who gives a crap because I hadn't got round to um, to <laughs> subscribing. And I just, you know, I, there was such a smile on my face. And I just thought, what a genius Christmas present. <laughs> okay. And so so this um, episode is um, being recorded in early November, should go live in a few weeks before Christmas. So listeners, if you're scratching your head for Christmas presents, it brings a big smile to people's faces to receive this giant box of who gives, gives a crap toilet paper. Yeah, and if you're, you know, if you're shopping with us in the kind of six weeks before Christmas, you'll usually see a, a special kind of holiday edition that we put together that um, started as a joke. You know, it was uh, um, one of the kind of harebrained ideas that I had early on was what if we could do like a, a special kind of Christmas limited edition product and so we changed the colors of our wrappers to red, white, and green instead of, you know, the other five colors that they were before that. And it was a hit. People loved it. And we saw that, um, you know, a lot of our customers who were only buying once every three to 12 months were coming back and buying multiple times through November, December. Um, and so the next year we evolved the concept and, and now we have, you know, artisan illustrators that that bring wrappers to life for us around a theme that we run. Each oh, year. brilliant. So is the, the Celebrate edition. 
Um, and um, yeah, you know, the the roles kind of look like miniature presents and it's in a big sort of pinata style kind of, you know, confetti box. Um, so it's a super fun kind of present to buy for people, but also to have in your house around the holiday season. <laughs> Fantastic. So can we use it as Christmas decorations on the tree as well? Yeah, hundred percent wrap presents <laughs> with it, make bunting out of it. You know, <laughs> I love it. Christmas trees. Yeah. It's all, everything's designed to, to be reused and to have a life beyond the life of, you know, toilet paper. Fantastic. Um, look, I think this is a great moment to um, dive deeper into your purpose and the impact that you can create, uh, that you create. Um, your mission is to ensure everyone has access to clean water and a toilet within our lifetime, which is amazing. But the scale of that is huge, right? Given, given the scale of the problem. Did, did, did you talk about numbers? Yeah, 2.4 billion, uh, now to yeah. 2 billion. Now people. 2 billion, yeah. So a lot of that improvement's happened in India where the government's played a, a very vocal, you know, if, you, if anyone's been to India, they probably have had a conversation about toilets and that doesn't happen in, you can't say that about any other country. <laughs> so yeah. the government's done a really good job of, um, of building awareness around the sanitation problem and why it's so important to have universal access to toilets. Um, and as a result, a lot of the, you know, 4 million, 400 million person improvement that we've seen over the last decade has happened in India, um, to be seen, whether that will be, you know, whether there'll be any regression, um, it's one thing to, you know, give everyone a toilet. It's another thing to make sure those toilets are maintained and, um, continue to exist, you know, for many, many years to come, but, um, yeah, an amazing kind of journey that they've been on, um, I've forgotten what your question was. I just started talking about that. <laughs> um, that your 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 mission um, is huge um, oh, and it's yeah, huge in scale. And you know how 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 are you? What's your plan to yeah, do that? So I think Global domination. Totally. So I think you know the we talk about achieve, trying to achieve this goal in the next thirty years. Um, it's an insanely lofty goal. You know, two billion people is crazy um it's a very very big number we've donated 10 million dollars so far which we're very proud of but the reality is that our donations have to be up into the hundreds of millions or billions of dollars every year to be able to make a serious dent in in this problem um so for us that means you know trying to find more customers wherever they are in the world and um sell in more places so that that you know people can can buy us where they want to shop and then to to solve more problems in our customers' homes so that we're able to have more products that people are able to come back and purchase on a, on a higher frequency. Um, but importantly, we only want to sell things that people need. So we don't produce things that that people you know want. We, we sell things that people need um, because we want to try to do everything with the, the, the lightest footprint that we think makes sense um, from both a customer and a business perspective. So it's a bit of a balancing act to find the, the sweet spot um, of where we can, you know, where we believe we have license to play. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So what are the other products in the range now? So now we've got um, kitchen towels, tissues, a dream cloth, which is kind of a, a blend between a, a paper towel and a sponge. Um, and then more recently, we've gone into shampoo, conditioner and body care with a new brand that's called Good Time, which is like who gives a crap sister. So shared DNA, but um, a different, slightly different brand personality. We think of Good Time as the architect and who gives a crap as the stand-up comedian. Um, they're available on our website 
if you tab at the top left of our site, you can move between the Who Gives a Crap site and the Good Time site. And we've got new products that are coming probably mid-2023 is the next range that will come out. Okay, fantastic. Um, so back to your your mission um, to, to, you know, give access to everyone in your lifetime um, to clean water and a toilet. How did you how did you decide to go for that big vision? I mean, I, I'm a big believer in the bigger the vision, the better, because it forces you to think differently, it, like you can't fail, but to think outside of the parameters of, you know, traditional structures. Um, and, you know, similar to Zambrero, their mission is to end world hunger. Um, but but when you actually put that down, what was the what was the conversation around it, Simon? Um I mean, uh, I don't know if there was much conversation around it. We We're just going to do it. Yeah, we all sort of I think we all knew deep down that it was the right it was the right thing for what we were trying to do. We just hadn't hadn't individually articulated it yet. Um, so um, you know, I think the what's so powerful about it is that everyone in our company knows that that's the reason why we exist, and that's you know for most people the reason why they get out of bed every day and want to come and work for us. Um, and so it's really powerful in terms of connecting people into why we're doing the work that we do, but then also how we're doing it. So if someone's looking at a decision that won't, you know, have a material impact on the business for not 12 months, but maybe five years or 10 years from now, they can say, well, we know what we're trying to get to in 30 years time. So how does, um, you know, this decision that's got a five to 10 year horizon kind of fit into that grand plan that we have. And so it's, an incredibly powerful tool for building alignment around mm. what direction we're moving in and, and how we're ultimately going to get there. And then it's ultimately what we use to, to answer all of the hard questions in our business. So if we ever come up with a, you know, a hard decision that we've got to make, we just come back to, well, we're trying to make sure everyone in the world has access to clean water and a toilet. Is this going to help us accelerate the path that we're on or is it going to slow us down? And it's just an incredible you know, a very powerful tool to use to answer some of those hard questions that you come up against. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I'd love to understand more about your people. What kind of people do you attract at Who Gives a Crap? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, obviously people who care about the output of their or the outcome of their work um, is is really important. But we are also a, a high growth startup. So um, it's people who who you know, like to be at a high level of performance who um, also care about the, you know, the, the outcomes of the work that they're doing. Um, and so, you know, that's, um, it's not for everyone, you know, it can be quite a stressful environment, you know, in startups, there's often a lot more ambiguity, um, the pace at which you're having to learn things to grow at the same pace of the company is rapid. Um, and so, you know, that can be, it requires a growth mindset to, to um, you know, get excited about going on that journey, um, and they're the sort of things that we look for in our team. So, you know, is this someone that can operate in ambiguity, has a growth mindset to be able to learn, is motivated by giving a crap, which is you know one of the values. I'm sort of walking you through the values that we think about um, in our organization. Yeah. Um, can you walk us through those all of those values? Uh, are you happy to do that? Yeah, so we, we have five values and we essentially recruit against those values. We think about team performance against those values. And so we're um, we're always bringing the company back to, you know, 
are we living by the set of values that we have? They're not, um, they're not, you know, they're, they're values that we truly embody rather than values that are, um, you know, things that we aspire to. Um, so give a crap, which I think sort of speaks for itself. That's about doing the right thing, whether that's um, from a sustainability perspective, from a community perspective, from a team perspective, um, you know, give a crap is kind of a huge part of who we are. Deliver and delight, which means, you know, having a frictionless delivery experience and then being able to delight around the edges of that. So um, you don't want to be delighted when your order hasn't shown up. You just want your order to show up. And so the delight has to be something that that comes, you know, alongside frictionless delivery as well. Um, go big, which probably speaks for itself, but, you know, we have a huge goal and, and need to be thinking big in order to get there. Um, to stay scrappy, which essentially is about testing and learning and iterating and um, having that growth mindset and being open to failing and getting things wrong. But as a result, needing to bring people along for the journey, have them um, look over things early rather than late so that you can get a read on whether you're on the right track. And to Kembot, which is a, a Filipino word that um, sort of has multiple meanings, but but sort of means um, to get a lot of stuff done <laughs> while shaking your hips, dancing and having a good time. Well, <laughs> and that's all in to Kembot, did you call it? Yeah, Kembot is the word. Um, so, um, you know, we have our, our biggest nationality in our business is actually Filipino. Um, and so it's also a recognition of the diversity of, you know, who we are as an organization that, that our values aren't, you know, all Australian colloquial terms, um, or American kind of terms, but, but sort of embraces the diversity of who we are as a company. Yeah. Love it. Love it. That's brilliant. Um, and so there's a lot of research out there that, um, that's coming through that shows there's a big difference, not just between businesses with a purpose and those that don't have a purpose, um, in terms of financial performance, but purposeful organizations, there's a big difference between purposeful organizations and those just that have a purpose statement, right? Yeah. Um, clearly, who gives a crap um, falls into the purposeful side. And and when you when you look underneath some of that research, it's because of people, your employees, and it's because you know they're more agile because they're connected to their purpose they're more agile resilient resourceful in it's a culture that's innovative like you said fail fast learn quickly um is that something you can relate to with your organization and the people within yeah definitely i think the i think that's all the benefits i think there's a um a cost that can come with being purposeful from a team perspective as well and that's the um you know, people, um, particularly when you've got a great purpose that you're working towards, if people fall in love with the purpose, but they fall out of love with how the organization is working, mm. then you can create a challenging environment for them because they they will find it hard to go and work somewhere else that doesn't have that same connection to purpose or that depth of connection to purpose. And so they will, you know, um, put up with things that they shouldn't put up with as a result of, of being in that position. Um, and so, you know, it's um, yeah, you have to make sure you've got really good open feedback lines at all time and at all times. And and we're not perfect as an organization. So there's, you know, there's um, definitely people that 
um, have been in that position and that's that's you know a really challenging place to be yeah that that's actually very interesting because I guess you do attract people who care and mm. who are passionate and and people who are passionate usually have strong views about things and you know when the paths divert uh, yeah that... yeah and often people who care can sometimes find it hard to give really um, you know candid feedback to people that they care about not realizing mm. that actually you know having too much empathy and and not sharing that feedback will ultimately be a downfall rather than a uh doing someone a favor which is how it feels at the time so um there's challenges that come with that that, that you have to navigate as well which is why as you say that having having open feedback lines I guess, and encouraging that sort of culture is really important to that. Yeah. And usually in onboarding, I'm, the number one thing I'm saying to people is I want you to be more blunt. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just put it out there, be, you know, trust that everyone believes that or knows that you're going to, you're doing it from a place of support rather than a place of, um, of, you know, being critical for the sake of it. Um, but it, I think that's a, a leap that, you know, isn't natural for a lot of people. And so it takes time. I gonna, yeah. Um, I was going to ask you, how do, how do you go with that? Are people, you know, do some people find that difficult to? Oh yeah. I mean, I think most people find it difficult, um, but it's, you know, like, uh, yeah, it's the only way. <laughs> yeah. Enjoying the podcast. If you're looking for more inspiration, head to our website, thecauseeffect.com.au for more resources on how you can start using your business as a force for good. Or buy the For Love and Money book. Every copy sold allows us to protect one square meter of rainforest. Help us save 10,000 square meters by 2025. I'm curious to um, ask you about storytelling um, because there's no lack of amazing stories um, that, that your activity and what you do generates. Does storytelling have a role within the organisation? So rather than the remit of marketing, you know, it, I'm, I'm really interested in understanding those, you know, those organisations that have a culture of purposeful storytelling and yep. it just, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So um, storytelling is a huge part of our organisation you know, uh, when we un unveil our strategy for the year, um, there is a story that's that's woven through every strategy. Um, and we think that's important because it makes it more memorable. It gives people an experience. It gets them excited about this moment in the calendar. Um, and so we do that through, you know, every part of our organization, we think about the story that's there to be told. But again, I think this is one where, um, it can become a double-edged sword because if someone isn't a natural storyteller themselves, they don't want to be feeling like they need to hold back on sharing something because they haven't packaged it up in the perfect way to be able to share it. You know, you want shares to be happening at 10% rather than at 90%. Otherwise mm. someone might've spent too much time on an idea before putting it out into the world and, and being told that actually it doesn't work for these three reasons that we could have got to at the 10% stage. Um, so, or, you know, now we need to iterate on them, but would it, would it would have been faster to do that, you know, at 10% rather than getting it to 90%. Um, so storytelling is incredibly powerful, but it's a, a tool that has to be wielded, um, you know, with, with great responsibility, essentially. Yeah. And it comes more naturally to some people than to others, but, um, but it is, um, someone shared with me recently, a quote from 
Steve Jobs, that the storyteller, the storyteller sets the vision, the values and the agenda for an entire generation to come. I think it's yeah. a quote, which is really powerful, isn't it? And it, it's totally. when you think about your story, that is what you've done and you're doing. Yeah. And I think the, you know, the, what we really focus on is how you can distill some of these really challenging big ideas down into a few words. And if you can kind of capture it in that really simple way, which is kind of what who gives a crap is all about. There's a lot to it, but the, the, you know, the four letters of our name really tell you pretty much all you need to know. That's um, that's where you get to that really powerful stage of storytelling. Yeah. Brilliant. You work with a number of impact partners. Can you tell us about them? Um, yeah. So we, we, you know, we donate half of our profits, $10 million donated to date over the first sort of nine years or so of donations. Um, we, we sort of think about our impact partners as um, kind of like, a, you know, investment portfolio. So first of all, we said, we don't want to do the impact ourselves because there's people out there who know much more about it than we do. We know a lot about toilets, but, but there's still experts out there who know way more than we do ourselves. So let's find the the best people and fund them. And we take a portfolio approach to that funding. So we want to have some blue chip stuff that's the tried and tested, you know, um, large scale kind of organizations that make up 70% of our portfolio. And they're people like WaterAid who um, very good track record, work with relatively big budgets so they can absorb donations large and small from us without blowing their budgets out. And then we have the rest of our portfolio made up of um, high impact but low volume investments where they're working with quite small budgets of you know one to five million dollars a year and so if we write them a check for a million dollars it can blow their budget out and they become less efficient with how they go about you know achieving the impact that they're trying to achieve and then some high risk high return investments um, where you know they're investing in in innovative ideas that will potentially change the sanitation landscape and move the needle much more quickly. Uh, and so a great example of that is an organization in Kenya called Sanergy who work in the, the informal settlements of Nairobi and, and now um, another city as well. And if you've ever been into some of those kind of slum environments, very difficult, you can't drive cars down them, you can't plumb them because the streets don't sort of allow for it. Um, and so you, what their solution is to have an above ground toilet with a canister you can put a lid on pull waste out, load it onto a trolley, take it out of the slum, put it onto a truck and take it away for offsite processing. They mix it with restaurant waste and then black soldier flies consume all of that waste and they get turned into either fertilizer or chicken feed and are sold. And so it's a way of monetizing the waste stream. Yeah, wow. Get that they're making is that they can get the cost of a toilet down to about $10 per person per year because at that price point, it becomes cheaper for the government to step in and fund sanitation for everyone than to allow the you know, economic cost of the sanitation problem to exist in the informal sediments. Um, and so they're at about, I think about you know, $20 a head at the moment and trying to get down to that $10 a head price point. If they can pull that off, then the government steps in and, and this is a model that can be replicated in many, many other parts of the world as well. So that's the, the big bet that they're making. Yeah, right. Amazing. Um, it sounds like you've really finessed your strategy around it, like that that sort of balanced investment portfolio strategy. Um, I, I can imagine. I can only imagine, like working overseas in this area with with experts. Like it must have been quite a challenging 
thing to get right up front? Um, I mean, the the interesting thing about it is it was easier than what we thought. And that's because, you know, when when we said we don't know, whenever we don't know very much about something, we'll ask ourselves, who can we learn from that can help us get up the learning curve as quickly as possible? Now, if, if what you're trying to learn about is, you know, selling toilet paper online, <laughs> then you can't go and ask another toilet paper company that's selling toilet paper online how to, you know, what's their playbook. But when what you care about is trying to get toilets to everyone in the world, you can go and ask people who are trying to get toilets to everyone in the world, you know, what they've learned over the last decade and and what what parts of that we might be able to borrow and learn from ourselves because they just see you as a, you know, someone that's that's they can work with together to achieve their goal faster as opposed to a competitor. And so I think that's the beauty of the, the nonprofit sector is that there is a lot of benefit of collaboration that you don't see in a, you know, highly competitive market in the same way. Um, so, you know, there's downfalls, but, but one of the huge benefits is that there's a lot more um, incentive to share information than what you'd get in a, in a competitive market. And so um, tell me about global expansion. I see you're, you're operating in a, a number of markets. Where are you at with that? Um, so, yeah, now we sell, um, yeah, Australia, US, UK, and then we warehouse in Europe and ship into um, about 32 countries across Europe. Amazing. Um, so we sell more outside of Australia than we do inside Australia. And Is that um, right? Yeah. So, you know, our, our market share in Australia is bigger, but um, we now sell much more outside Australia than we do inside Australia. But we're in, you know, way bigger markets in those in those geographies. So our market share is smaller as a result. Yeah. And and Simon, tell me, does the um, does the brand tone stay the same? Because you know some of those little one liners seem seem very Australian. Uh, yes. So um, it's a good question. So we when we went international, we moved our marketing team to Los Angeles so that we. Um, you know, we knew that the UK was a relatively similar market in terms of sense of humor and spelling <laughs> even, but obviously the US um, is a bit different um, and we wanted to create marketing that could work and resonate globally, which is a hard thing to do. And so we moved that team to America because we felt that um, if we were able to generate ideas there and then sense check them, you know, with an Australian team, we'd be able to create things that had the greatest potential to resonate globally. Um, and so we've, yeah, we've, we've sort of intentionally built a team that's quite diverse with Australian team members that moved to Los Angeles to kind of um, put that together. And, and now more recently with UK team members and um, lots of different backgrounds kind of coming into the, the, the people that, that, that work in that side of the business. Um, you know, this gets more challenging as you start moving into other languages. So Mm. our European expansion we need to start localizing um into different languages and translating jokes across languages gets much more challenging so I think we're 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 learning a lot as we're going through that process but but you know probably don't know fully how to answer that question just yet but but everything that we've done today works in the Australian UK and US markets with pretty similar kind of responses um, of course, we've had things that haven't worked and we've had to iterate them and change them and yeah, make them right. But um, that's kind of the philosophy that we operate with with now. 
And so far with, with your international um, expansion, like has there been one, one market over others that's really gone, whoa, love, just loved you? Um, I think, um, you know, I think, I think with our, with, with our company, there's sort of this inflection point where you kind of hit enough critical mass and then you start to really take off. And, and we felt that inflection point earlier in the UK than we did in the US because, um, it's a, it's, you know, a six or a fifth or something the size. And so to, get in enough bathrooms, enough houses, enough hospitality businesses around, you know, a certain part of um, the country happens faster in a smaller country than what it does in the US. Um, but I think we've been just amazed that it has worked in, in, in all the markets that we've, we've been into so far. So um, yeah, I don't know. I think the, you know, the, the next, the next kind of big nut for us to crack is actually in retail. So how do you, how do you translate the brand from um, a digital brand into one that, that, that tells that same story on retail floors where you've got, you know, less than five seconds to win someone over. Um, and so that's kind of the, the next canvas that we're figuring out how to paint. So retail is a, is a goal for you to actually get that distribution. Yeah, so we've just gone nationally into Aldi in Australia, um, Mercado in the UK, and um, you know this is kind of something that we're working on at the moment. Um, but but you know our product in Aldi I think looks amazing, and um, we've sort of put it into into little boxes. So you can buy a little twelve pack box, which looks great, kind of in the you know in the landscape of the store. Um, so you know it's a a great way for customers that might not have discovered us to now find us in a environment where you know we, we previously haven't been able to reach them and that's that's a super exciting place for us to be playing yeah absolutely i will um make a little visit to aldi to have a look um i'd love to talk about um the balance between purpose and profit love and money how do you strike that balance you know i mean i think you know i think where we would think about this different to most people um I think what we've been able to show is that our company wouldn't have been able to reach the size that it's at, the scale that it's at, the um, the success that it's had, but but hopefully, you know, the success that's coming in the future if we didn't give away our profits. And that really goes against, you know, the the physics of capitalism that I got taught about at university where you had to be profit maximizing for your shareholders, the idea that you were giving away your profits to build a more successful business over time did not, <laughs> that was not part of the curriculum. Um, and so I think what, what we're showing is that profit and purpose has actually become inextricably linked in a way that was completely, you know, incomprehensible 20 or 30 years ago. And so consumer sentiment has shifted and will continue to shift in a way that I think will only make the relationship between profit and purpose stronger in the years ahead you know, barring some crazy catastrophe happening. Um, and I think that that for me is super exciting because it opens up a whole bunch of innovation that wasn't possible for brands 10 or 20 years ago. And that's, you know, that's where we want to play and that's where we want to see other people come and play and do a better job than, than even what we can. Fantastic. Um, and, and you know, I, I notice I, I interview a lot of um, leaders of purposeful businesses and brands and a number of them have actually 
talked about who gives a crap as um, their inspiration. I know, do you know Dr. Kyle Turner from Purley? No, I have to, I have to, I have to have I'll, a look. I'll send, I'll send you a link. So he's making oral hygiene free to everybody um, through an app called Purley, but it's monetized through an online store and, um, yeah, his his background is, um, you know, he came from remote Australia where he didn't have access to dental hygiene. And, yeah, he, he just absolutely loves you guys and he was talking about how much he loves you and how much your brand has inspired him. And I've heard that from others as well and I can see it in other businesses and brands as well. How does it, um, like, have, have you thought about that, that beyond your mission you're actually indirectly um inspiring a whole co- cohort of other purposeful business leaders yeah i mean that that that's what that's the goal you know like that, and i think we we think about this as what we call good influence so you know if we're truly trying to have impact beyond the sanitation problem which is where we have to solely focus for the next 30 years because the goal is so big that if we get distracted we won't be able to pull it off um but we also want to be able to influence some of the other social problems that exist out there in the world as well. And the way to do that is by inspiring other people to, you know, come along and create many new business models like ours, but even better. Um, and so it's, it's actively a part of, you know, how we think about the role that we have to play. Um, and, uh, you know, it's probably because we were also one of the the earliest, you know, we were right place at the right time with, with the right idea that's enabled us to sort of be a bit of a lighthouse for the sector. Um, and so we want to, we want to, you know, shine that light as bright as we can to try and draw other people into what we're doing. And it's really interesting just, just um, going back to that profit and purpose question. Um, you give 50% of your profits away and yet you have built a business of substance. You've scaled it, you've gone global Um And I guess the question I'd like to ask you is, is that model showing that that's enough, that you can give away 50% of your profits and you can still be a profitable organisation and build a business of substance and scale it and create um, employment, wealth and opportunity? Yeah, well, I mean, the you know the the reason why we chose fifty percent wasn't because we wanted to pocket the other fifty percent ourselves. It was because we truly believed that if we we wanted to create the most impact that we possibly could, and when we won a spot to a social business incubator, a lot of really amazing mentors said to us, you know, if you're donating a hundred percent of your profits, which is what the original idea was. I think it's going to hinder your ability to scale because you won't be able to sell equity in the company because there's no equity in a nonprofit. You won't be able to align the incentives of your staff members using equity as part of, you know, packages for early staff members and and so on. And now, you know, right across the business, we have equity packages. Um, But also donating 100% of your profits each year creates this big cash outflow, which you need to fund with something. And so you're probably taking on debt each year, which makes the business less and less stable over time. And so we took a step back and said, I think they're right. I think, you know, donating hundred percent of profits would actually hold us back rather than um, allow us to achieve everything that we want to. But we also want our customers to know that the reason why we're doing this is because of the sanitation problem. So 50% felt like the right number to say, you know, the reason why we exist is because the sanitation problem is here 
but you know we can hopefully build a business that is at least twice as big than if we donated 100% of our profits and therefore be able to have more impact overall. And that's, I think, certainly what's played out. You know, had we donated 100% of our profits, I think we'd be less than half the size of, of what we are today. Um, and so, you know, that was that was a big part of the innovation around um, the kind of mechanics of achieving what we wanted to that um, hopefully, you know, we'll see a lot more kind of thinking and innovation around in the future as well. Yeah, and um, the Purpose Conference um, just happened a few weeks ago and, yeah, the the amount of innovation that uh, we saw um, from the speakers and panellists there was absolutely mind-blowing. I think, I think the Purpose Sector is absolutely driving the innovation agenda above everybody else. Um, so it's just opportunity on steroids, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, we're going to have to wrap up because of time, but um, I, I wanted to ask you two more questions. The first is, um, I think there are a lot of people in businesses, for-profit businesses that already exist that are actually thinking, how do we start? How do we start making this change? And I know you've started, you know, as a purposeful business, um, but I'd love to understand if you have any advice for them or for those entrepreneurs who are just, you know, thinking we actually want to start something and and create impact from the word go. Yeah, I think um, I think the, the main thing here is that, you know, what we've shown is that consumer sentiment has shifted. It's not shifting. I mean, it is, but it's already shifted and it's going to shift further. And so when you think about that as an incumbent, it means that if you're not shifting your value proposition to start taking into account purpose, you're going to become less and less relevant for your customer over time. And you're going to have new companies coming up who are starting to take those customers away from you because they're embedding purpose into who they are. And so I think every company has to be thinking about this, but um, in order to be successful, it requires being authentic and, you know, doing it properly and, finding the right outlet that is, you know, hopefully tied to the product in a way that makes sense for what your brand proposition looks like. So it's not, it's not easy. It's not something you can put a bandaid on. It's something that has to be incredibly well thought through and come from the right place in order to, you know, really resonate with the customer. But the way that customers are shopping now, they care much more than ever before about where their money's going, who the mm. shareholders of the company are, what the culture of that company looks like, what the you know policies around social and environmental impact um, have been you know laid down and how they're thought out, and that's not going away. It's only going to happen more and more and more. So, you know, if you're not thinking about this, then you need to be prepared to to lose a significant amount of your customer base over the next ten to twenty years. That's the truth, isn't it? And it's as much as consumer sentiment is, you know, one of the biggest drivers, the other one is employee sentiment. And, you know, the fact that employees increasingly are going, actually, if you're not going to give me the chance to, you know, um, perform work that I consider to be meaningful um, and delivering true value, then, you know, I'll go somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and good on them. I think that's the right thing to do. Absolutely, absolutely. So, look, last question, Simon. 2030, it's just coming careering towards us um, so fast. Um, but, um, you know, eight, eight years off the global goals, target date. Um, do I, the role of business 
collaborating with government, NGOs and the rest. Do you, do you think that's where the opportunity is to really accelerate towards those goals? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think we, I, I don't know about the broader kind of suite of goals. We, we're so focused on sanitation. You know, when we set our initial sanitation goal, we looked at the 2030 goals and said, we don't think this is reasonable. You know, actually we believe the time frame that's reasonable is, is you know, 2050 rather than 2030. Um, and so I think, you know, does it require businesses to work with governments? Um, I think it I think it probably requires every individual to really vote with their dollars but also with their you know political votes as well because what we're showing with who gives a crap is you can choose to spend your money in ways that actually accelerate the path of you know some of these solutions and and of course that has to happen at a business from a sorry government perspective as well um, but we, I think we need to do both of those two things together. Can they also come together and work to accelerate things further? Definitely. I mean, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of the sanitation problem needs to have governments kind of really stepping in and, and helping to accelerate things. Um, will we play a role in kind of helping to bridge that gap? Certainly that's, you know, where some of our funding goes will be in, in order to create some of those partnerships with governments to, further you know extend the pace at which things can be achieved um but it's not you can't rely on that and so i think mm. as consumers if we relied on government to do everything i think we'd be in a pretty bad place um and so we also need to be starting to hold businesses accountable for solving some of these problems and and really putting their money where their mouth is or should be in order to get us to a place that's further along um but yeah, I don't want to back one horse. I think we sort of need to try to back all horses. <laughs> yeah, and consumer power is absolutely massive. You know, we're only just scratching the surface of it now, but the message is your wallet is your vote. Um, and the the other thing is, um, as as a consumer who who um, buys a lot of um, products, um, especially from from people I reach out to be guests on this podcast, it's um, the feeling you get from it is um an amazing bonus as well mm. it's an unexpected one but it feels good and i think like the other thing here is that it's easy for governments to say that they're going to do something and then decide not to do it later on if a company does that then you can sue them because they've made false claims about you know what their marketing is and great so great point there's actually much greater accountability for businesses than what i think there ever will be for governments unfortunately and um and that doesn't mean that we should give up on governments. We need to try to get them to do more. But, but um, you know, businesses, I think, are actually where there's going to be, you know, more accountability for some of these challenges. Fantastic. Simon, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I've really enjoyed um, chatting to you and learning more about who gives a crap. Any, um, any call outs um, for our listeners? Um, no, I mean, if you, if you haven't seen us before, you know, jump on who gives a crap org and, and check out, um, what we're putting out into the world, or if you're in Australia, drop into Audi and, and pick up one of our boxes, but, um, yeah, you know, thank you so much for having me. It's been great to chat. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the for love and money podcast. If you'd like to take a deeper dive into the purpose movement, visit us at thecauseeffect.com.au. And remember, 
Doing good is good for business. So if you're not doing good, then what are you doing?